You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. All right, well, we are continuing our series, We Are the Church. And what we're looking at is what did the early church learn? What were the letters written to them? What were they needing to know? And is it applicable to us today? And the answer is yes, it is applicable to us today. And so we are going through the different, we went through Galatians. Now we're in the middle of Colossians. We're in the middle of the book of Colossians right now in chapter two. And we're just going to the New Testament and saying, Lord, what do you have for us? What are you trying to teach here for living grace for those who are tending to learn? And so we've learned that Jesus, so far in Colossians, right? Jesus is the whole point of the book, right? He is supreme. He is always reigning supreme. And when he's not in that place, right, is where we find ourselves, you know, messed up. When he's not number one, when he's not priority, when he's not, as I said, like our compass, then we are just walking in circles, not looking, not knowing where we're supposed to be going. But when Jesus is the point, then everything else makes sense. And so this week we are, like I said, continuing Paul's letter. And, and, and so let's just dive right in. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And so starting out, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Right? So, so right there. We'll stop right at that verse. And so as you have received Christ, Paul is saying walk in him. The same way that you received Christ... That's how you're supposed to walk in him. So the question then is, how do we receive, how did we receive Christ, right? When he's talking to the church in Colossae, what was he saying? How did you receive? And so then they had to look back and think, okay, how did we receive Christ? And it was by faith. Right, so we go back to the first letter that Paul wrote, which was the letter to the people of Galatia, right? And it was all about how we are justified by faith alone and not works or not faith plus works, faith plus anything, nothing, right? It's, it's faith alone and that is how we are saved in Christ alone, by faith alone, his grace alone, uh, for his glory alone. And so we know that we, how did we receive Christ, we received him by faith. For in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Meaning, did you do anything to receive this gift? Did you do anything? Did you prove yourself to God? He's saying, no, or by believing what you heard, right? Are you so foolish, After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So Paul is saying, hey, what was started by the Spirit, why are you so foolish to think that you can then finish this by yourself? And so we see that in all of Paul's letters, what he's getting at, if you go back to Romans, is we see that in Romans we say that the righteous shall live by faith, right? And he's quoting Habakkuk. And so if, if Paul is trying to, you know, is, is, is arguing, reminding the church in Colossae, hey, you did not do anything to receive Christ by yourself, for yourself, but instead it was a gift, right? It was, it was by grace. And so I wanted to, this is not up on the screen, so you just have to listen, but in Romans 3, I was reading this week and I was like, man, this is just so good. But I want to remind you once again what we have in Christ Jesus, because if you get this wrong, like 
I, it, it makes, for some who don't understand, like the reason that it brings this up week in and week out is that you must live by faith. You must live not on your own power. You cannot pray by your own strength. You cannot do good deeds by your own strength. You couldn't earn your way to heaven. It was all by faith. And so to continue this, you must walk by faith. So let's see what God did for us. So Romans 3, this was the good news. This is what Paul is saying, what you received from Christ. He says this, Romans 3, chapter, or, uh, verse 21. But now, God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight, not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. You are made right in God's sight, not by your own doing, not by anything in you, not by any magic or ritual or anything like that, but by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, your sin. And we all can be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty, right? This is good news. We are no longer guilty. Before Christ, you were guilty. You were an enemy of God. You were a child, you were a child of wrath. You were headed for destruction. But now, through Christ, because of faith, we are not guilty. This is such good news. And he has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by by taking away our sins, every sin you committed, have committed, will commit, right, is that Jesus took away that sin, paid for it on the cross. And as we'll see later in Colossians, for God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. God was being entirely fair and just when he did not punish those who sinned in former times. And he is entirely fair and just in this present time when he declares sinners to be right in his sight because they believe in Jesus. So we see right here, right? This is what Paul is saying. The way that you received Christ, not by anything that you did, not by anything you said, the way that you received Christ, you didn't deserve it. And yet because of his love for us, he acquitted us, right? He he found us not guilty. He took away all of our sins. And so Paul's saying, as you receive this, remind yourself of this faith. And the same way that I'm reminding you that you, this faith that you're standing on, isn't just a one-time thing, meaning you don't just believe in Jesus and then you try to do it by yourself, but instead you need Jesus and a reminder of what he did for you every single day if you want to be able to then, as we see later, be thankful to be able to kill sin in your life. Like, you you need Jesus, and he's there for you. It's not like you, it's hard for you to receive him, because what does Paul say? As you have received him. So Paul is saying, as you received Christ by faith, not of your own doing, not by your good works, not because of who you are, but because of God's love and him saving you. And so now we have to walk in the same manner. Same manner meaning we live solely by faith and faith displayed by good works, right? Like James says, you say you have faith and I, you know, and I have works. Show me your faith by your works and I will show you my faith by my works, right? So what James is saying is, hey, you say you're a Christian. You say you believe in God. 
cool story, right? Even demons believe, right? Even, even some people who don't even know Jesus believe that there's a God that exists. Like, that's not enough, right? He's saying, and what Paul is getting at, right, is this idea of living by faith is that your faith must be displayed, not by your own doing, but by natural, it should just come, right? Like, your faith should produce good works, Your love for Jesus should produce good works. Your love for Jesus should produce forgiveness. Your love for Jesus should produce your ability to kill your pride and say, it's not about me. I may miss out, but for the sake of the other person, right? Even even in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul is saying, hey, why are you going to court suing one another in church when instead he's like, why not suffer wrong? Why not rather lose for the sake of Christ, for the sake of your brother? And so there's a lifestyle of living by faith that Paul is trying to remind us of here. And so as a reminder, you are not saved by good works, right? It's not what I'm saying. You are not saved by good works, but by the righteousness of Jesus, by him living in you, by this faith given to us, We will produce good works. There's a big difference, right? You are not saved by good works, but you being saved is evident by good works, by a life submitted to the Lord. And so let's go to verse 7. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. And so what does it mean to be rooted in Jesus? How are we built up in him? So this word rooted here, right, I don't usually get into the Greek, but I thought it was pretty interesting. But the word rooted here means to be firmly rooted. But more than that, it means to be strengthened. And then it goes further and says, with focus upon the source of such strength. Because Jesus is our life-giving soil and foundation. Right? If you think about plants, right? I'm not a gardener, right? Somehow, by, I don't know, perfect thing working out, I have four plants in my front yard that are thriving. And we did nothing. We haven't added any new dirt. We haven't done anything other than I've just watered them. And I guess they got sun, right? And there's a million things that goes into plants. I know this, right? And I'm not going to go through this. This isn't bio or <laughs> no, biology. It's not whatever. I don't even know the word for it. It's not important, right? But all I know is I must water these plants, and I know that they must have good soil because they're growing, and I know that that's going to cause growth, right? So what Paul is saying is that as you are rooted in Christ, right? And this goes back to, as Paul will say later in Galatians, right? Where he says, your eyes fixed on Jesus. So with our focus upon the source of our strength, we are rooted, right? This is saying, as you are rooted, as your eyes are fixed, as your focus is on Jesus, then you are being built up in him, right? Is that that's how you grow when your eyes are on Jesus. Jesus, not, right, because when you live, when you're not living by faith, what does it look like? You're not looking at Jesus. You're not trusting Jesus. You're not trusting him to be able to do the things that you want to do, and you're not trusting him to help you to not do the things that you don't want to do. So you're not really living by faith, but instead, you're living by your own merit. You're living by your own willpower. You're living by your ability to not want to get caught, right? But instead, is when you live by faith, when your eyes are on Jesus, nothing in the world, no sin, no temptation, no desire, no lust of the eyes, pride of the eyes, no, none of that compares to Jesus. And so Paul is saying, as you are rooted in him, as your eyes fixed on him, right, and be built up in him, right, just as you were taught. And so it's this idea of us saying to, looking at Jesus, right, fixing our roots on him, because 
when we fix our roots on Jesus, right, when, when he is our foundation, when he is our, our soil that we are growing from, right, it's understanding that no matter what comes our way, nothing can rock our foundation, right? Like, how many times have you, have you tried to make it through life, and you look back, and it was all on your own willpower, and you wonder why things never worked out the way they were supposed to, right? Or, or to go a little bit further, you would say, oh, I'm a, I, I tried the Christian thing. I tried this idea of living by faith, but then when I tried to do it, everything went to, you know, everything was a disaster, and so it's like, so I tried Jesus. It didn't work. I still wrestled with these things. I still dealt with this. So it's like, why would I pursue them all together? And I would argue that your eyes were never on Jesus, that you were, as Paul was saying to the Galatians, oh, foolish one, were you trying to finish what the Spirit started by your own willpower? Were you, I, 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 there's been so many times I would counsel people and I would say, hey, well, you've got to do this. And then they would give me this excuse. And so it was like, hey, I'm giving you Scripture. I'm showing you Scripture. I'm showing you what Jesus wants for you. And yet you continually remind me that your idea is better than Jesus's way. And so because of this, then and you wonder why nothing is working out. And so for many people, they were never rooted in Jesus. Their focus was never on Jesus. Their eyes were never fixed on Jesus. He was never their true source. He was just something they added in their life. And then they wonder when the storms came and the trials came and the suffering came and the bad news came why their faith dwindled. Because they were not rooted on the rock that doesn't move. Because when your faith is rooted on the rock that doesn't move, then you don't move either. Because he's holding you and he has you. And so it's this way of life where we can say with true confidence, in all honesty, Jesus, I cannot do this without you. Like when's the, like when's the last time you prayed that about just your job? about just you being with your family, about you not trying to lose it on somebody, right? When's the last time you just prayed that right before you were with that person or you walked into the door? Or maybe it's the next prayer, which is Jesus, I trust you are my savior. And that because of that, I will do whatever you ask me to do because you are also my Lord. So it's not just Jesus, I, you know, you're just my savior, but man, I see you as my Lord. So my life is yours. Everything is yours. And so you start to see this is a life that's living by faith because everything then becomes about Jesus. But before you walk in a room, it's about Jesus. The way you treat this person is for Jesus. The way that you, you know, talk about afterward is the way that you don't talk about the person or you do talk about the person. It's for Jesus because of Jesus. And so you start to live by faith. It's saying, Jesus, I love you more than anything anything on this earth. Jesus, you are my greatest treasure, the apple of my eye. And so then when life comes, you won't be uprooted. You will be firmly fixed because he has you and you will never be moved because nothing can move Jesus. And then this leads to Paul's next words in this verse where we will spend a little bit more time today. He says, abounding in thanksgiving. And so just to start out, right, are you a thankful person, right? Like, would you say you're a very thankful person? 
Uh, because, you know, we're, we're coming into getting close to November, and, and usually November is the only time of the year where most people look back, and because everybody's saying, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. And then you look back, and you're like, wow, you know, 11 months in, God, I'm thankful for this, right? Like, God, oh, yeah, you're there. You gave me this. I'm thankful, right? Uh, and so, but what, what I'm getting at today is that when you're rooted in faith, when you're living by faith, there is this lifestyle of being thankful, of having thanksgiving, of a bounding, as Paul would say, in thanksgiving, right? Because as Christians, we should be looking back and seeing all that we have, all that we are, all the fact that we're alive today, knowing that it is from God above and not from us. Like everything you have is a grace of God. The fact that you're here right now is a grace of God. And so as Christians, is that no matter what we go through, good and bad, we should be thankful people. And this is what I want to argue for today. Because here at Living Grace, I say our mission is to glorify God. And we do that by enjoying him and then making disciples who make disciples. Like, it's not just a catchphrase. It's what I'm trying to push you towards every single week, right? Learning how to enjoy God, find him as your greatest treasure, and then you go and make other followers of Christ as you follow Christ. But one of the ways we glorify God is by giving him thanks. The Bible goes a step further in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It says this, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we see in Colossians, Paul is saying, hey, we should be abounding in thanksgiving. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians to a different church, he says that you would give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so Paul even says here to rejoice always and pray continually. And so, once again, are you a thankful person or are you a grumbler? Are you a thankful person or do you, are you the one that is known to complain about everything? Like when something doesn't go your way, is your first reaction like you throw a little tantrum and you get mad and you get frustrated? Or is your first one, Lord, this didn't work out, but Lord, I thank you because obviously something else is. Right? This isn't easy, right? Like I'm not saying that it, this is an easy thing, but this is why I go back to what are you rooted in? Because when, you're, when your source of strength is Jesus, when you're abiding in Jesus, when Jesus is everything about for your life, when everything is for Jesus, then, then you're able when stuff happens and you get bad news and something doesn't go your way, you're able to say, Jesus, I thank you. Why? Because he is sovereign, right? We learned that he is holding the world together because we don't have to. We don't have to hold our family together. We don't have to hold our job together. We don't have to do any of that because he is the one doing that. And all all we have to do is put our eyes on Jesus, uh, the source of our strength, and fix our eyes on him and be rooted in him. And then no matter what happens, we can be thankful people. And we're always thankful people because we know what has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And so have you ever been thankful for the trials in your life? Because Paul is, Paul is saying, hey, in all circumstances, be thankful this is what sets Christians apart from unbelievers. We, like Paul says in Romans 5, he says this, Romans 5 verse 3, he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. 
And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It is easy to be thankful when everything is going right. It's easy to be thankful when everything goes your way. It's easy to be thankful when it doesn't cost you to follow Christ. It's hard to be thankful when life is throwing you against the rocks. And maybe one day you'll say thank you for that car wreck. Maybe one day you'll say thank you for that loss. Maybe one day you'll have that where you'll be able to look back and say, man, God, I thought this was the worst thing possible, but yet now that I look back, wow, you were there all along. And now I've known you in this way. Now I've seen you in this way. I trust you more. I've grown in my walk with you. Right, because most of the time, either way that thing was going to happen, the difference was, right, as believers, we are rooted on something that doesn't move when the news breaks to us. Right, some of you know, but back in 2017, 2018, there was a small three, four, or five-month span where we, Jamie and I lost a baby, and then we, she, Jamie lost her job, and then after that, my mom passed away in like three or four months. And it was just like crazy. Like, it was like, what is going on? But when I look back, I can see three families that after my mom's funeral, and I, that was my first funeral I ever preached, I went and did another funeral, and at that funeral, all these families were there that day. And in the midst of those, of after that funeral, they all started to attend the church I was working at. And one by one, God started saving them. And then I got to baptize some of them. And then they started to baptize each other in the midst. Of, and they started to bring more family to know Christ and more family to know Christ. And to the point where majority of the people there that day at that funeral that I was able to do and go present the gospel and the seed was planted, they were all able to come to know Christ, right? Like at my mom's funeral, there was over a thousand people gathered because she was very, you know, known in the community. But yet I got to preach the gospel because 95% of those people had probably never heard the gospel in their whole life. And so every time that as the years go on, right, and then when somebody loses somebody, I know what it's like to lose somebody suddenly and not planned and yet still be able to trust the Lord that he is good in the midst of it and him being my rock and being rooted in him and founded in him. And so I don't stand up here saying, hey, you're going to be thankful for that, that suffering one day. And I'm just saying it because I'm the pastor. I'm saying that because I was there. I lost the kid. I lost my mom. She lost her job. And in the midst of all of that, I'm able to still be rooted because it was never in my hands. It was in Jesus' hands. And he was holding my world together. I wasn't because if I was holding my world together, I would have fell apart and I would have been depressed and I would have, been, I would have quit my job and I would have not been able to preach either of those funerals because I wouldn't have been founded on Jesus. And so I'm telling you that this is possible to live by faith and to be thankful for even the darkest times in your life, right? Because even in the darkest moments, right, you see the light shine brightest and we can see Jesus clearer than we ever saw him before because everything else is gone. All of our comfort is gone. All of our foundation we thought would hold us is gone. And so instead, we, all we have is Jesus. And then we're able to be thankful 
you can say thank you, right? So one day, right, in the meantime, right, before maybe you're not there yet, right, maybe you're not able to look back yet. Time hasn't happened long enough for you able to see God's goodness and mercy following you. And so in the meantime, though, you can say, right, maybe it's thank you for my family and support who is here despite my sickness. Maybe it's thank you for keeping me alive even though my car was totaled. Maybe it's thank you for this food that sustains me even though it's not what I really want right now, Lord. Thank you for my salvation, even though my world is crumbling around me. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for being the one who is in control. Thank you for holding my world together. Thank you for being faithful to me, even when I'm not faithful to you. Thank you for your grace that I can run back to when I'm in sin, knowing that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Right? Thank you for dying on the cross to shed your blood for my sins. Thank you for never giving up on me when I ran from you, Right? whenever I was falling away, whenever I was not pursuing you. Yet, Lord, you continue to pursue me, so thank you. And what happens when we do this? We are acknowledging that all good things in our life are from God above. And too many times we miss out on all of the good things in our life because all we focus on is a few bad things that are going on. And you miss out on all of the things to be thankful for. Like, man, your salvation is the greatest thing you could ever have. And yet many a times, when's the last time you even prayed the prayer, God, I thank you for saving me. God, I thank you for bringing me from death to life. God, I thank you for giving me my salvation where now I can know you and I can live by faith. You see, we are living in light of eternity because we know that even though our life may be in shambles, crumbling around us, our eternal reward hasn't changed. Even though we can't seem to catch a break, we know we can find rest in Jesus in the midst of life. In the midst when life is crazy, you can still pause and know that Jesus has rest for you. Even though we can't seem to catch a break, we know we can find rest rest in Jesus. And this is why the psalmist says, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right? In the midst of chaos, there's this moment, there's this reprieve, there's this calm, peace, pausing that we have as Christians given to us in the midst of any moment of any day where we just, you hear horrible news, you pause and you say, Jesus, I need you right now. Thank you for being there with me. And Jesus, maybe one day I'll be thankful that whatever I just heard, this happened. But right now, Lord, I just thank you that you're with me. It doesn't matter what's in front of you. If you would just pause for a moment and say, Jesus, Jesus, help me. Jesus, give me strength. Jesus, give me peace. Jesus, remind me that you're there. Jesus, remind me that you're the good shepherd and that you are here for my soul. Jesus, let me see your goodness despite the evil in front of me. And this is what it means to give thanks in all circumstances. This is what it means to know Jesus. This is what it means to live by faith and to say, Jesus, I thank you. And you're living by faith because it's not about you, not up to you, and not because of you. And so this is one of the ways to glorify God. Because in that moment you need something. He gives you exactly what you need. Then we turn around and thank him for it, and then he gets the glory, right? So this is, this is why being thankful is part of being a Christian, because 
when we need something, we pray to him. And then he gives us what we need, not what we want, but what we actually need in that moment. And then he gives it to us. So then we turn around and we're thankful for him, acknowledging that he is the one who's given it to us. And so then he gets the glory through it. So then he provided it. He's the one that's getting us through it. And then we turn back around and say, God, it's all for your glory. So this is how you give, how you glorify God by giving him thanks is because we're acknowledging him. So let me break it down. When you are tired, when you're done, when you don't want to go on anymore, and then you turn to Jesus, this is what you're doing, right? The first thing that you're doing is you're acknowledging that you need him, and you see that you cannot do it on your own. So that's like the first step, is when you turn to Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own, so Lord, help me. Then the next thing that happens is you're living in faith and by faith because you're trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. So the first step is you saying, God, I need you. The second step is you living in faith, by faith, saying, Jesus, you're going to help me, and I trust that you're going to help me. Then you're acting out your faith by praying to him, knowing he hears you. He then gives you what you need, not what you want, but what you need in that moment because he's a good father. And then the fifth thing, you then make it through that moment, that situation, that bad news, and you're able to make it to the next day. And then the next thing is then you pause again and you turn around and you give thanks to him, rejoicing that he came through again and again. And the last thing is that when someone else is going through another hard time, you're able to then speak and testify. It's an old word in church. But you're able to testify that God came through for you. How much more will he come through for you? And so we see that in this whole thing, right, we're acknowledging, hey, God, I need you. And then we're trusting that he is who he says he is, and we're running to him. And then he gives us what we need because he's a good father, and he gets us through the situation. And then we make it through, and then we give him thanks for it. And we're, we're living out our faith. We're trusting that he is who he says he is. And then when the next person who goes and is struggling through something, we then are able to go help them get through whatever they're getting through by the same way that Jesus got us through. And this is what it means to live by faith. This is what it means to make disciples. This is what it means to be thankful. Because when that person runs to Jesus, they get what they need. Jesus gets glorified because that person then gives all the glory and thanks to Jesus. And then you, the next time you're going through something, you run to Jesus, you acknowledge your need, you live, you're going to him by faith, you know that he hears you, he provides for you, gives you everything that you need, and then you make it through, and then you go tell somebody, that person goes tell somebody, and then little by little, what are y'all doing? You're starting to make disciples who make disciples. And all that you did was live by faith and say, Jesus, I need you. That was the first step. And so the first step, the problem, right, is we can't come to that first step where we can't be, we can't drop our pride enough to say, Jesus, I need you in this moment. I can't even fill out this form. Jesus, I can't even love my kids. I can't even work for this boss. I can't do this job if it wasn't for you. So Jesus, I need you. And so this is a life abounding in thanksgiving. This is a life that rejoices in Christ, and this is a life that is praying continually. And it all starts with whether or not you acknowledge your need for Jesus, and then you see that he's the savior of your life, and then that you see that you're to live, we are to live in submission to him. Because here's the beautiful but yet sad thing about all this. Despite us not giving thanks or glory to God when he gets us through, 
is that he still always gets us through. So you, how, there have been so many things that have gone right in your life. There have been many things that have gone wrong in your life that have maybe led to, maybe you haven't even looked back and thought, why was this a good thing? God, what were you showing me in this moment? And despite you never giving glory to God, it didn't stop him from getting you through it. And he still does it. Why? Because he loves us. And this sounds, this message is not complicated, right? This is not like an in-depth, super the- theological message, you know, where we're diving in into everything, right? This is, this is simple, but the problem is that we are not a thankful people. We are not thankful for many things in our life, and we are not quick to be thankful and to rejoice always and to pray continually and to to give thanks, to be abounding in thanksgiving. Why? Because we don't live by faith, and Jesus isn't our root. If we go to Luke 17, there's a story that illustrates this uh, very well. Uh, Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, it'll be up on the screen It says this, now, this is Jesus. Uh, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. They were healed because they trusted in Jesus, or they, they were healed because they trusted Jesus could do what he said he could do. If, if it, uh, Lena, if you can come back up here. You see, they were, in this story, to under, just to understand context, Samaritans, for those who don't know, were like scum of the earth compared when the Israelites thought of them, right? Like they were, nobody liked the Israelites. I mean, the Samaritans, they were like half-breeds, essentially, and so they were outcasts. They were not allowed, and so, it, so for, for one of the lepers, and, and above that, lepers were not allowed to be around people, so much so that if they had leprosy, they were to yell to people coming their way, unclean, 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 meaning, hey, do not come near me because you could be infected by me, and yet, by from a distance, Jesus they say, hey, Jesus, have pity on us because they knew where they were, right? And they realized Jesus from afar, they didn't come close to Jesus because they knew their need. They knew that they, were, they, were, they had leprosy. They knew they couldn't get close to this person. So what did they say? Have pity on me. And what does Jesus do is he heals them. And he says, hey, you go back and you go show yourself to the priest. And then, but what happens? All of them get healed. Every single one of them were cleansed. Not one, right, only one, came back to Jesus, and above all, he was a Samaritan, the one whom Jesus shouldn't even talk to, yet he healed him, and the Samaritan was the one who came back. You see, Jesus did not come to them or touch them. 
He didn't say, go for you are cured. No, he told them to go and show themselves to the priest because the priest was like a health inspector in a way where the priest would say, hey, yeah, you are healed. And so Jesus didn't go close to them, didn't really probably see them, but he just says, go, go show yourself to the priest. You're healed, right? He didn't tell them they're healed. He says, go show yourself. And then they all go because they were healed in that moment. But yet, one of them came back because Jesus was testing their faith by asking them to live as if they had already, as if he had already done it, right? So that, that's what Jesus was doing, is he was saying, hey, go and show yourself to the priest as if you already truly believe that I am who I say I am. And so one came back, and nine were so absorbed by their new happiness that they didn't even think once for the source of it. The only one who came back was from a race that all of Israel treated like trash. One commentator said this about the situation. Jesus told this man to get up and go on his way, and he assured him that his faith had made him well. Presumably, the other nine had faith also, for this was the common prerequisite of Jesus' miracles. But certainly, this Samaritan had faith, and he had gratitude. It is possible that we should take the verb to mean more than cure. It is literally what we'd say has saved you. It may be that Jesus recognized in this man the faith that issues in salvation. And so when we look at this story, how many times have you come back to Jesus? How many times, right? Because when you think about your salvation, right, you were far worse than a leper when it came to you and God, right? Like you were lost in your sin. You were dead in your sins. You could not seek God, the Bible tells us. You didn't want God, right? Like at some point in your life, you heard a message, you, you heard a sermon, you heard the gospel, somebody told you, and then all of a sudden you started wanting to know God more. But prior to that, it was never God in your life. You didn't care about God, but yet something changed. And what changed was God intervened in your life and he gave you faith and he regenerated you and then you started to want him. You started to want to come to church. You started to want to read your Bible. You started to want to pray and what happened was Jesus saved you, right? Jesus opened your eyes in the same way but the problem is is that we have never come back and been thankful and trusting and live a life of gratitude because what this, what this uh, Samaritan essentially did was he said, Jesus, I know that you healed me but what else is next? Jesus, I know that you healed me and you cured me, but I'm not so distracted by the good thing you gave me that I miss out on the one who actually is the one who healed me, who is the source of my being healed. And so Lord, what do you want from me? Essentially, he was saying, let me be your servant. Jesus, what's next? And nine went away and I'd want nothing to do with Jesus. And that's many a times our life. Jesus, I'm going to come to church, fix this, fix that, fix this. And when those things are fixed, what happens? You disappear. You stop reading your Bible. You stop praying. You stop seeing your need for church. Why? Because all along, you were only there for God to do something for you. And then you never even gave God thanks for it. But then there are those who come back. There are those who say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I need you to help me because I cannot live this life without you. And what is that? Living a life by faith. At the end of our, our last passage for today is Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It says this. And you, 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, you were far worse off than a leper. You were far worse. I was talking with a friend of mine, and uh, we were talking about this idea of holiness in the Christian life and, like, wanting to pursue holiness. And, and we were talking about a certain situation. I said, well, I think the reason that this person isn't understand, like, the reason that we don't feel like there's remorse, the reason we don't see certain things, I said, is because I don't think this person ever had a true understanding of their sin. They never understood the weight of their sin against the holy God. And so because of that, when they thought about sin, when they thought it was just a mistake, it was never sin. They never wanted to classify it as sin because that's too much. That's too deep. That wasn't, this little thing was never a sin. But when you understand that the littlest lie was enough to make you break the whole law, right, and that you were condemned, but yet we go back to Romans 3, and we see that we were acquitted, right, that he paid for all of our sins, that he reconciled us back to the Father, and so this is why we can live by faith, because we see this great weight has been lifted. We see this burden that was on us that we laid at the cross, and we see that before we even laid that burden, Jesus was the one calling us to him, and so that is how we live by faith, because we then say, man, I couldn't do it by myself. I realized how far off I was. I realized I could never do anything. And this littlest sin was enough for a holy God to, to bring his wrath upon me. But Jesus took God's anger and he took the punishment that we deserve. And so I get at this is that like the lepers, they understood their need at least. But this leper understood his need a little bit more. That he wasn't just needing physical things from the Lord, but he needed a new heart. He needed something to be fixed within so that he can truly live by faith, that he can rejoice always, that he could pray continually, that he can live a life abounding in thanksgiving because it's by faith, because he's rooted and he understands that as he received Jesus, that he must be built up in Jesus. And so if you're not getting it, let me make it clear. You did nothing for your salvation. You were an enemy to God. Your sin has so much weight to it, but yet in the midst of you having all this weight of sin and, and condemnation, and, and you see the sacrifices back in the day couldn't pay for the guilt of it, but yet Jesus became the greatest sacrifice, and he took the guilt away, so you don't have to feel guilty for the things that you've done. Why? Because we give it to Jesus, and he paid for it, and he reconciled, and because our relationship with the Father has been fixed, we can fix every relationship here on earth. reason you don't pursue holiness is because you may have a really low view of sin. The reason you don't care to pursue Jesus may be because you don't see how far off you were. And so when you see it, I believe you'll have a life of thanksgiving. The simplest, simplest thing is that we must be a thankful people. I want Living Grace to be known as a church that is 
thankful, a church that is thankful no matter what happens in our life because we trust that Jesus is who he says he is. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples.